This whole thing takes place at the Travel Inn on 42nd Street. Yeah. That hotel is still there. I looked it up today. It does not have a website, but you can book a room on Kayak for $39. By the hour or by the night? <laughs> they have a pool. I want to go there in the summer. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Hi, Julia Mezzavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Oh, my God. You guys, I'm so excited to be here with you. We're back in the studio. We're back in the studio, baby. Uh, you guys, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 300 ad-free bonus apps to download and binge right this second. Right now, we're doing the Chippendales. The boys are sexy. Yeah, we're at the strip club for the four weeks. The boys are taking their clothes off. I cannot believe. They are gyrating. I know. It's taken us like 300 episodes to get to some like boy stuff. We never get to talk about we hot boy stuff. We never get to gyrating men. No. <laughs> here we are. Our last series was Relentless. I'm just going to say it one more time. It was so off the rails. I think more people heard our coverage of Relentless than have watched the I agree. Yeah, and they're also, they're like with us in rage. I know. Always. You guys, at one point, this lady, this journalist, takes a fucking shovel into the woods to dig up a body. That's a real thing. And then leaves... The animal bones in like someone's <laughs> mailbox in the break room. I'll never. This get is the over woman it. making the movie, you guys. This is the woman making the movie. I, it's a whole thing. Also, we're playing Broadway April 11th. I hope you guys are all coming. We, we are sold out. If you have tickets and you can't make it, get into the Facebook group. There's a pinned post where you can mm-hmm. sell your tickets. There's hundreds of people looking. We're gonna do a standby line day of. Yes. What else? Yeah, I mean the tickets are like happening. Like yes. that, that's a very active post. So go yeah. look. And even if yeah. you missed out, like there's always someone saying I can't make it or something came up and they want yes. they want the tickets to go to you and we want the tickets to go Johnny to Johnny Fairplay from Survivor's coming. If he's going to be there, you got to be there. <laughs> Is that, I mean, that's it. That's all we got to say. All right, girl, tell the people what we're talking about today. Oh, Joe Berlinger. So we're yeah. talking about crime scene, the Times Square killer. So we're doing this in two parts. Yes. So this is three episodes. So this is going to be like ep one and a good chunk of ep two. Yes. And then next week on the regular feed, you're going to get the rest of ep two and ep three. But if you're on Patreon, you get them both this minute. Right. So our episode two is available right now and ad free on the Patreon. It'll be our regular episode next week. Yeah. So this is episode one right now. Murder in Times Square. The whole world is attracted to Times Square. They're entranced and a little bit drunk off all the lights and all of the show business. But tourists don't know what was there 45 years ago. In the late 70s, Times Square was considered an atrocity. Times Square was a very sexually charged atmosphere. The whole scene was something to see because it was like out of Dante's Inferno. There were guys walking around out there that were pure predators. The fear behind that was palpable. You could feel it. Did you hate this? I didn't hate it. I have issues though. Like, (laughs) I really, really liked this documentary. I think they were exploiting the thing they were criticizing about the exploitation. (laughs) That's pretty common around here, though. (laughs) I know. It was just like a lot. There's one woman who I'm in love with, though. These women are sexy, I gotta say. But hey, guess what, girl? New York was a shithole in the 70s. What? (laughs) This is brand new information. Now, look, the way... Times Square in the 70s is described. It's They call it Dante's Inferno. Yes. There is a, yes. a big sign in lights in all caps that just says, for God's sake, get out! <laughs> in lights. I mean, it's like they were like, everyone was drunk off the lights and the show business. And, you know, there are a lot of people who, like, miss it. A lot of people in yes. this documentary, men, yeah. think that this is like the good old days at Times right. Square. It's really not, girl. No, and I gotta say, a lot of this takes place on 8th Avenue between, like, 43rd and 50th Street. Yeah. I lived on 43rd Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. So this is my hood. And a lot of the stuff is still there. Like a lot of these like porn booby theaters are still there. Booby theaters. I said booby theaters. I like it. (laughs) There's someone on the news who basically says our newscasts are always violent, but tonight's real bad. It's not easy to find a newscast with no reference to violence and murder these days, but this week got off to an unusually violent start right here in Midtown Manhattan. Like hell of a trigger warning. That's how they used to do trigger warnings in the 70s. It's it's always bad, but tonight it's whoo. (laughs) Put down the TV dinner. It's a bad one. So we're starting on December 2nd, 1979. We're at the Travel Inn, you guys, and we meet one of the cops who was there. I was in the 10th Precinct in Manhattan covering Times Square. 
just a, a uniformed cop on patrol. This was December of 79, and we're stopped at a light at 42nd Street when we saw fire trucks parked in front of the Travel Inn Hotel. We meet Vernon and Malcolm. I have a big crush on Vernon. I think he's amazing. He's the one who's like a real sick bastard did this. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's real bad. Vernon is really smart. He's with us throughout. And he's just saying like he was in his cop patrol car on 42nd Street. He sees a fire. He races over to the, what's it called? The Travel Inn. The travel you live inn. next to it. I know. <laughs> You just went on and on about how this is your neighborhood and you've lived here for 10 years and you still don't even know what the hell's going on. No, but there's been a big fire in room 417. When we pulled up, they excitedly said, you better go up to the fourth floor. And so the fire department shows up and it turns out there are two people in the beds of the room. I have to say this crime, I mean, all the crimes that we cover are gruesome, but this is really, really bad. Rescue company one was told that there were likely guests inside the room. So you had the smell from burning flesh and the smoke was thick. So they realized that there are two women in these beds. They were decapitated and their hands were also cut off to which one of the cops says, a real sick bastard did this. That's Vernon. When the cop like leaned over to try to give CPR and saw that they didn't have heads or hands, he says, Knocked them back against the wall. Naturally. 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 (laughs) Malcolm's like, I was in the NYPD for 31 years. You can't imagine the shit I've seen. Has to be real bad for it to stand out to me. This was the hotel room from hell. And I'm like, Malcolm also has never cracked a smile in his life. No, no, no. This guy is very serious. Nothing's funny. He doesn't even want to laugh. Don't waste his time with a joke or anything. Not a real fan of TCL, I don't think. No. You don't think he's a paid at the five? I, I don't. Natalie Maines, however, I'm, I stand by it. Totally. It has to be absolutely horrifying to stand out. Oh, Malcolm. And like, you're saying that yeah. to me, Malcolm. Yeah. Knowing that we're talking about you were a cop in New York in the 70s. <laughs> Every day was really bad. I know. Based on the 5,000 documentaries we watched on the topic. I can't believe we haven't seen a TV floating in the Hudson yet. I mean, fingers Never, crossed. This I is know. F1. Got a while to go. <laughs> So they're saying, like, the immediate problem for the investigators were who were the victims. The first thing you're looking for is fingerprints, but in this case, you were deprived of fingerprints because there's no hands. Our first uh, inclination is that he wants to prevent identification. That's why the heads and hands are gone. We had nothing else. No wallet, no ID, no identification cards. And don't forget, it's, it's 1979. We don't have all this video surveillance that we have today, okay? We don't have DNA technology. It won't, the DNA technology won't come up for another seven years. And he says, like, you got to remember, you guys, in the 70s, there was no way of doing police work. You right. clocked in, you drank your coffee, you ate your donuts, and you went home. There was no chance of solving a murder. All you really had was a fingerprint, and these victims had their hands cut off. So they're right. like, there's really no way of identifying these bodies. And what's also really odd here is that these women were decapitated, their limbs were cut off, but there wasn't a lot of blood. Like, they make, yes. they make a point to say that yeah. it wasn't very gory so like they couldn't do DNA if they wanted to but they're also like it was a very bizarre kind of weird crime scene I was just like this is how everyone got away with being a fucking serial killer in the 70s like you could like we will learn down the road that like we'll be reminded I should say that no jurisdictions talk to each other state to state they don't talk to each other no one cares like (laughs) (laughs) and also the amount of just like red hot hate I have for this person is really where it's like I'm hearing about it now and I'm mad can you pick up a a fucking phone and call New Jersey? Well, especially, like, this is happening in midtown Manhattan. Yeah. Where people who don't live in New York City work. So, like, your perpetrator probably doesn't live here. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right, he right. probably lives over the river in New Jersey. You need to know how to communicate with New Jersey. Right. No one wants to talk to New Jersey. Me the most. Although they do treat New Jersey like it's Mars. We'll get there in a second. Like, it's right over there. It's right across the river in New Jersey. Okay? So, here's what we know about the piece of shit who did this. He yeah. checked in on November 29th. He left on December Second, he was there for three days. He signed in as Carl Wilson from New Jersey, clearly a fake name, (laughs) obviously. The only time he was seen was at registration. A woman stood behind him as the subject was registering. He was alone. She was alone. But for whatever reason, she paid attention And they drew a composite from her description. 
here's something that really stood out to me. He was only seen at the registration check-in. One woman noticed him and remembered what he looked like. So they're basing the description on what she said. Yeah. And one of the cops is like, I don't know why she paid attention to him, but here we are. And I'm like, see, this is the difference. Yes. yes Any yes, woman yes. listening knows exactly why she paid attention to yep. him. Maybe you can't define it. A feeling. Yep. Your gut's like, I want to know where that guy is at uh-huh. all times. That and the cops are like, I don't know why. why? Good, <laughs> God bless her for paying the fuck attention. She's in New York City. In Midtown. In Midtown at the travel in all places. Listen, if you can get a room at the travel in today for $39 and you can, in 1978, those rooms were probably $3. Right. I mean, come <laughs> <You> on. <laughs> so she's like, look, he was a mediocre white guy, mediocre yep. at best. That's yep. being very generous. 35 years old, 5'10, 175 pounds brown hair blow dried like the guy's super meticulous blow about his dried appearance hair. who does that in the 70s everybody <laughs> yeah. uh, feather right that's the Farrah Fawcett can I ask you a question though yeah. why do we have these sign-in logs if they're people can just write fake names I mean we like, why do we have anyone them? watch Psycho Jesus <laughs> Christ the whole thing was about the sign-in book yeah I'm like why is that book even there I really don't get it I know just for the fun of it I guess one thing while we're on the topic we're not but let's 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 get there happy to all of this archival footage of New York in the 70s I I could watch it all day long. It is wild. I could watch it all day long. Because they also describe, like, another thing that makes this an uphill battle is, again, Times Square in the 70s. It's packed with locals, with tourists, countless businessmen, hustlers, three-card Monty guys, guys right out of Rikers Island. (laughs) Crime everywhere, violence everywhere, (laughs) vices everywhere. I'm like, holy shit. They literally say if you're looking for a killer in 1970s Times Square, you're looking for a needle in a haystack. If you guys think about what he's saying there, it's a haystack full of murderers. Right. And you got to find yours. The thing is, like, my parents even... Even now, my mom's like, you don't go like near Port Authority, right? Like, I mean, they yeah. think that New like the Times Square, like the people who lived in New York in the seventies yeah. and eighties are traumatized. It's true. To this day, my mom's like, wait, where's the studio? Like Port yeah. Authority, right? Because she remembers yeah. this Times Square. You guys, we are recording in this neighborhood right now. This minute, we are right where it happened. Mom, I'm sorry, <laughs> I probably told her that it wasn't anywhere near her. And, like, the other thing, too, like, we meet all these people. Like, we meet this guy, Josh Allen Friedman. He's a writer. And he, like, primarily wrote about Times Square. I spent my entire 20s in the 1970s and 80s in Times Square. I was a writer covering the neighborhood for men's magazines. He's one of those men who is nostalgic for the old Times Square. Thinks it's like the good old days. He's charmed by it still. He's like, Times Square is in my blood. Wouldn't brag about it, bro. Relax. I know. You just wanted to go to the peep shows a lot, huh? And and where are you from, Josh? Where'd you come from? Are you from here or are you from like Indiana? I'm saying Nebraska. Whatever. Josh, Times Square's in my blood. All right. Because he's like, he's the guy who has to say everyone went to Times Square for adventure. That's not adventure. And he's like, yeah, we all called it the Deuce. Oh my God. The Deuce was a nickname at the time, really referred to 42nd Street itself, particularly between 7th and 8th Avenue, which is really the heart of Times Square. They called 42nd Street the Deuce so many times. Steve was like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, they just keep saying the deuce. Yeah. Sometimes they'd the say like, deuce. oh yeah, on uh, 8th and 40 deuce. That's like a Beastie Boys lyric. Is that right? On 8th and 40 deuce. Yeah. So um, that's, for, that's from the song She's Crafty by the Beastie Boys. 8th and I think 40 I, I, deuce. I think I thought of seeing her on 8th and 40 deuce. No the next way. thing she said was my place or yours. Let's kick some bass behind closed doors. Anyway, I'm here all week. I think I thought I seen her on 8th and 40 deuce. 8th and 40 deuce. Right? Also, speaking of Port Authority, they say it brings people from New Jersey and also people from around the country. <laughs> New Jersey is this mythical place to all of these people in New York right now. And I'm like, oh, so that's where the rivalry started. Also, it's like, don't, also, don't, don't try to be New York. No, Just Jersey, be, be who you are. Yeah, exactly. And at Philly, I'm yes. talking to you. And Boston, I'm talking to you. Just be yourselves. You were all great. There's uh-huh. enough to go around. Totally. And Chicago, while I'm at it, it's... <laughs> I love your pizza. It's more like a casserole. There's no competition because they're two different things. It's apples and oranges. I love you all. Can't wait to see you. You've had that axe to grind for years, actually. Because it's not a competition. (laughs) Because I love deep dish pizza. Uh uh But it's not uh, like a slice I could get right outside. I want it's you to so look me different. in the eye and let it all the fuck out. I want I want, I, I want, you to really go because to town on those what, fucking Chicago you, assholes. You know, what, you know what it's all about? Unity. Like, it's all the, like, can't we just like what we like and eat the pizza that's more like a casserole or you want a thin slice that, that we can get on the street for a, corner, for a I, dollar? I will say Hell's Kitchen, though. You can, It can be too thin. You know what I mean? Well, then the, if you want to get thin, you go to John's on Bleecker like a normal person, like someone who knows what they're doing. Some, like someone who went there with Damon Eccles and Amanda Knox for lunch once. John 
Downtown Bleecker is my youth and my go-to. And my friend Carl, Carl Queensborough, he's in from London. He was like, where do I get the best, like, thin crust oven? I'm like, John's on Bleecker. They don't sell it by the slice of John's. They don't, and it's cash only. Right. Remember that when you go. So the cops were trying to identify these women. I will say the cops seem to give a shit about identifying these women, which is great because they know that they're probably sex workers. Now police tell us they're calling a press conference tomorrow. The purpose is to dress up some mannequins with the same clothes they showed us last week. But they come up with this great idea. They're like, we're basically in the garment district. Why don't we take the clothes that were neatly folded and put in the fucking bathroom? Which is also weird. I know, like, no I know. evidence, no blood, no whatever, but let's like neatly fold the clothes. And put it in the bathtub. And they're like, let's dress mannequins and take pictures and like blast it out everywhere. And that's what they do. They say, let's see if anyone could identify the gals from the clothes. Right. <laughs> so they photograph the mannequins, flyers everywhere. And let me tell you, it works. Yeah. They get a it tip. Does. This woman named Rose calls the police and she's like, my friend left my left our apartment in that same outfit, I know who that is. Yeah. Police called on the public for assistance and received numerous phone calls. One of these calls was part of the process which led to identification. Medical records were checked and identification came from distinguishing characteristics of certain bones and scars on the body. So this led to them IDing one of the victims. Her name is Dita Godarzi. Which I fucking love that name. It's a super cool name. It, and Dita Godarzi. Oh yeah, my yeah, God. yeah. And it's not spelled like Dita Vontis. It's not D-I-T-A. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's amazing. And this is where I said, everyone pull the fuck over because Jennifer Weiss is here. Right. You guys, I'm going to say this really quickly. There's a podcast called Crime Show on Gimlet. And Jennifer gets her whole own episode, and they go into her story in a lot of detail. But Jennifer is Dita Godarzi's birth daughter. Right. Something that they don't say in this documentary, but I learned in that podcast, is that one of the identifying features of one of the bodies was her recent cesarean section scar. Ooh, okay. And that's Jennifer, who's here with us now. And Jennifer was adopted at 10 weeks old, and we get much more of that in the other podcast. It's really good. Because, like, at 26 years old, she goes searching for her birth mom. And the adoption agency should be shut down forever because of this. I I was expecting a Lifetime movie where I would get to meet possibly the woman who gave birth to me. But they gave me these terrible newspaper articles about how she was killed. Because instead of, like, having a conversation with her, yeah. they're like, here are these gruesome news articles about the murder. <laughs> I, I know, because she Any was talking questions? about, Any more questions? Jen, get out of here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. One of the other things that they don't mention in this at all, Dita has a twin sister who's, like, oh. alive somewhere. Oh, yeah, my God. I know. I didn't know that. But, like, she sees these pictures of her mother, and, like, the, the pictures are beautiful. And she was, like, really excited to see her face, but then she's also, like, immediately tormented because she learns that her mother was a sex worker who was brutally murdered in Midtown. Right. So Dita was, she was a sex worker in New York. Jennifer describes her as a high-priced escort, so she worked at bars, massage parlors. Jennifer says she was one of those sex workers that had, like, a couple of clients in one day. She yep. was kind of probably pretty expensive. Uh-huh. See, now, here's what you told me off mic about the podcast. In this documentary, they say it's a mystery how Dita ended up in the hotel room with this other woman and this murderer. And in this, the podcast episode, again, it's called Crime Show. I won't give any spoilers, but like, Jennifer figures it out. So the travel in this motel, hotel, whatever, was known for sex workers, and so was Times Square, if we're being honest. And then we get a lot of, like, first of all, we meet Dr. Melinda, who I'm I'm head over heels in love with. Dr. Melinda is fucking amazing. She's, like, not only is she, like, a psychiatrist and she's incredible, but she's, like, an advocate for sex workers. Right. So she, she's an author. She wrote Sex Workers Unite. In the late 1970s, the operative term for being a sex worker was prostitute. The problem with using the word prostitute is it is so combined with the notion of sexual shame. She's nothing but a slut. She's a prostitute. She's a whore. All of those terms would later be challenged, and they coined the term sex worker. She explains why we don't say prostitute, even though That's everyone amazing. else I except know. for her says it in the documentary. There's a couple of good men who know not to say it and don't, yes. but they point it out every single time. Every time. But let me ask you, like, if there's some guy, like yeah. one of these authors who, like, longs for the good old days of Times Square, uh-huh. wouldn't, like, me as Joe Berlinger, I would say, like, don't call them that. Say uh-huh. sex workers. Uh-huh. Like, that is so easily fixable if it isn't part of the story. Because they do say, like, Dr. Melinda says, back then we yep. used prostitute. Yep. Here's why 
why we don't now. Yes. Which is like context. So totally. I would I would say to one of these bros, uh, this is my film. We're not going to say that. This yeah. Is, this is I, how you- I agree with you. I don't know how or why those decisions get made or don't get made. Uh, yeah, I don't either. But Melinda is saying that like basically the word prostitute is tying it to like the shame of sex or the idea that like she's a slut. She's a whore. Right. And that like being a sex worker is actually being a worker. It's a job. And it's to sort of like destigmatize it because all of these women were being killed on the daily. And the right. idea is that if you could destigmatize this, then like these sex workers don't have to hide from the police. You right. know what I mean? Like they- I will get into that later, yeah. like why they don't come forward. Yeah. But we also learn, again, it's just like endless footage. It's just like we learned that Times Square in the 70s was a quote sex carnival. Bookstores, peep shows, burlesque yeah. clubs, movie houses, <laughs> sex emporiums. Barkers, whose main cry was, and I quote, I'm sorry, wall-to-wall pussy? (laughs) Apparently, they all love to yell that at the passerby. Wait, we got to talk about Martin Hodes. Are we going to talk about him so we can talk about his daughter? (laughs) Quote, the porno king of New York City. You guys. He was like a major player in making 40 deuce what it is. (laughs) What it was then. (laughs) 40 deuce street. 42nd street got to be what it was because of my father. Martin Hodes, the porno king of New York City. He was in the right place at the right time and saying, oh my God, do I got a good idea. But you guys, we learn all of this from his daughter, Romola. I think it's Romola. Romola. Romola? I don't know if she's invited to the cocktail party or not. What's your take? I don't know. I don't know Because she, she goes back and forth. <laughs> I know, I know. Because she's like, you know, she explains. She's the co-author of The Princess of 42nd Street, right. which to me is like, why are you... I know. Why are these the coattails? Ramala? She takes, like, pride in the fact that her dad, like, literally took 42nd Street and made it, like, a porn destination. But she also thinks it's disgusting. Yeah. You know? Does she? I don't right, know. Right, exactly. I don't know. So, like, but we learned that white-collar guys would sneak off on their lunch breaks, get some quick porn. Porn and and then back to work. (laughs) Which, for the record, I've never done that, but I see nothing wrong with it. I right. So (laughs) it's like, okay, whatever you gotta do. Yeah. Don't murder anyone. Right. Consenting human adults, whatever. So, but people were like, oh, this is great. We want more and more and more. Martin Hodas, happy to oblige. He starts making his own films, you guys. His daughter says hard period core period films. I know. Even his cinematographer's here, he's like, I tried to add some substance, some story. Lines. Nope. Everyone just wanted sex, 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 sex. We I know. see that maybe it's this cinematographer. I don't know. It's also like cinematographer and porn. It's so funny. Right. But like, it's such a form, you know. Hey, Sylvester Stallone was in a porn movie that was high art. Great. I'm sure it was. I missed that one. I think one. it was called The Italian Stallion. Truly. I'm sure it was. And if, it, if it wasn't, he did it all wrong. Totally. Why are we here? I just spent 30 days in the dark with a man that's in every woman's dream. This guy here, Sylvester Stallone. But there's a shot of the camera like right at the point of penetration yeah. this guy's le- these people are having sex and this guy's leaning over with the camera to uh-huh. get the right angle for just the humping can I just look I don't know where it's going to be appropriate to say it so I'm just going to say it here okay. I'm a gay man yeah. like none of this is shocking to me no. none of this is weird or strange not, and I'm not saying that you are no. and it's fine if people don't like porn or they think this is weird or gross or whatever Romola but like I was like Romola if you don't like 42nd Street girl definitely do not go to Christopher Street no. because like you're walking down Christopher Street and Every store is a sex shop. Yes. Every store is a leather store with dildos in the windows. I, and I was going to say the windows, like the, yeah. the leather outfits in the windows the on the mannequins. And the yeah. harnesses yeah, and yeah, the yeah. slings. and the. So I am not scandalized by any of this. No, but yeah. what they're really trying to hit home is like, it's that times a thousand. Mm-hmm. And also like a major criminal element. But and I'm like. I was going to say also unregulated. Right. So like we get to a point where we meet like live sex show workers. Let me, Martin, I think his name is. Uh, oh totally. my God. He's got stories for days uh, as, as you would as a live sex entertainer. Super invited. And his totally. wife, who we don't meet, invited <laughs> to the cocktail party, sit right next to me. But I'm just saying, like, there was a time when, like, literally anything goes. It was all legal, you know? Yeah. And so, like, X-rated theaters started popping up all over the place. Then Martin expanded to live peep shows, which is basically the Open Your Heart video. Yeah. Madonna. But then even grosser. And they, again, described only by men. They're like, then then they took out the glass in the window so men could reach in and touch the women Ugh. and, like, get hand jobs and stuff. And they say it with a chuckle as though the women loved it. That was great. It was a favorite part of their job. Right. And, of course, guess who's here? The mob. Right, of the course. mob's here. The Gambino. I, did you feel so seen? I did. I was like, mm, it's like I'm home. Like, oh, this is the Times Square I know. For the re- that's like a bit. I am. I am not like compared to all of this. I am squeaky fucking clean. Yeah, honestly, totally. in terms of like the mob, like I get some DMs where it's like, girl, and I'm like, no, 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 no. no. 
<laughs> it's a joke. It sounds like uh-huh. I am the, the Pensavalio of it all. <laughs> I understand. I am Sicilian, however. Uh-huh. So, yeah, but the Gambino family ran. I'm not fucking with you. Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> I knew that going in. I, I'm probably a couple of degrees separation. Like, I know a guy who knows a guy. Sure. Who knows a guy. Yeah. I'd say maybe four degrees, three degrees. Let's but I can't on. make a phone call this minute. No. <laughs> but I could call, I could probably get, by the end of the night. Sure. So. <laughs> there was something more than sleazy. There was something, like, like a little dangerous. A lot of bad things just came along with the business. There were pimps and drugs all over the place and the the mob was really big back then five families so everyone is talking about how the porn industry brought violence and crime and so dr melinda is like yeah because men see women as something to be purchased and when you purchase something you could do whatever you want with it and that's not true right so there were all these predators and like they would be rough with these women and they would abuse them and it's a secret and it's in private and no one will know and i paid you so i've earned it it's weird that these cops are all really interested in solving this murder of these sex workers yeah and they're very self-congratulatory about it but like they are the same cops who like the sex workers were afraid of exactly because we get this a million times down the road I'm sure we'll mention it again like the sex workers couldn't go to the police for protection because if you acknowledge you were a sex worker you'd get arrested but the John wouldn't right she would exactly so then we learn about James Thomas who's they call him Dita's pimp, but the word is trafficker, really. That's the preferred oh, word. Oh, we say, tra- okay, we say trafficker, trafficker now. Yeah, because okay. p- we'll get into the, yep. the like, characterization of pimps and, like, why that was, like, seen as cool for a yep. little bit. Yep. But he's a trafficker. You're looking at the people who were in her world, in her circle of existence. Johns, pimps, drug dealers. That's who you're looking at and expanding your way outward. Dita had a pimp, a guy called James Thomas. She worked for him for years. She also worked out of some of the mob-owned bars. Dita worked out of the mob-owned bars, and she knew, like, a good amount of Iranian drug dealers. Like, she wasn't running in the safest of circles, right? Yes. And so then... Suddenly, after we learned that, we're at New Year's Eve 1979. (laughs) Let me, if this doesn't describe the 70s, especially in New York, we get a newscaster, a decade, goodbye to the 70s, a decade of dreams, a decade of nightmares, a decade to which they said farewell here last night. And I'm like, good grief. So now it's January 1980. It's one month after the murders of Dita Gadarzi and Jane Doe, the unidentified woman she was with. And we're back with Vernon, my favorite. I love Vernon so much. And he's explaining how he was a criminal profiler and, you know, explaining that, like, they've nothing to go on. They've got no fingerprints. They don't have DNA yet. There's no clues. So he's trying to understand the crime scene and the victimology. And this is how they're going to go about trying to catch the killer. Profiling basically is an understanding of the dynamics and behaviors of offenders in crime scenes. We look at victimology. We look at signature, autopsy results, and we look at MO in this case. The medical examiner was able to determine that the heads and hands had been removed after death, both of them. Right. And the medical examiner gives us some information here. They say that the heads and hands were removed after death. Yeah. But they were tortured. Fucking great. Can I and just sexually say, assaulted. Yes. And one thing that I've learned, I think that this is disgusting, but it's a function of my job. Uh-huh. I think if you remove those things after death, that's why there's no blood. Because there's no blood pumping through the body. Uh, I believe that that's, how, that's why there would be less blood. That would make sense. Yes. I hate everything. I, Don't you hate it? <laughs> can you believe I know that? Can you believe that's a fact that I know? It's a weird... Weird job. I'll say it every time. So, yeah, and then I think your your boyfriend is like, uh, he's a psychopathic sexual sadist. The behavior cried out that we're dealing with a psychopathic sexual sadist. Sociopathic sex, psychosexual killer, whatever. He says that thing 800 times. Psychopathic sexual sadist. He loves that he knows that term. You know what I mean? And it is all-encompassing. Yes. I get exactly yeah, what he's totally. saying with that. And so what he says is, he's like, look, this person wanted to cause pain for sexual pleasure. Yes. And people like this, they start with porn, then they chase that high, they want more and more and yeah. more, and then they advance to being a total fucking monster. And the worst part is that they can compartmentalize it. They pass as normal. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... Speaking of... I wrote, I love Vern. Sit him next to me at the barbecue. Yeah, he can sit with you. (laughs) Dominic, however. Dominic. (laughs) You guys are not ready. Not since Darren and Lula Rich have we met a co-worker. It's Daryl. (laughs) Daryl. 
who I hope, yeah, honestly, I with all of my heart, is enjoying some Kelly Clarkson right now. Totally. <laughs> with a vodka cranberry. Full totally. disclosure, that was his drink. You guys, the, the, the rich. Be kind to your coworkers because they will sit down for the interview. They will and give the does interview. Does he ever? <laughs> Back then, I was working on Third Avenue, not far from the bright lights of Times Square. I worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield on a Honeywell H8200 computer. H8200 is about the size of one floor of an office building. So Dominic works on Third Avenue, which he says not far from the bright lights of Times Square. Yes, yeah? it is, not Dominic. Not from a cab at 3 p.m. <laughs> trying to get across town, buddy. That shit takes forever. Third Avenue? They also describe this place, Plato's Retreat, as being near Times Square. It's on 20 fucking 3rd Street. That's not close to Times Square. That's not. It's, it's Chelsea. Not. Yes, thank anyway, you. Anyway, yeah, that's annoying. Anyway, Dom worked for Blue Cross Blue Shield. He worked with computers. Worked for one of those computers that was the size of an entire floor. Yes. Again, <laughs> 1979, I right? know. So he worked with a guy named Richie Cottingham, a.k.a. Yes. the Cot. Everyone called him <laughs> Everyone called him Richie Cunningham, right? I, I'm like, is this a Happy Days thing? Which is weird because Ron Howard produced this. Oh my God, you're right. <gasps> Happy Days was a show. You guys. <laughs> the Fonz. That's, you, th- you know the term jumping the shark? Yes. That comes from Happy Days. Trivia. Happy Days was a spinoff of what show? Happy Days was a spinoff of what show? See, I'm not as much of an old soul as you think I am. Laverne and Shirley. Oh, my God. Yes. Or maybe it was the other way around. It could have been the other way around. No, it was the other way around. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? That makes sense. Potsy, right? He was cute. So Dominic calls him the cot, you guys. I used to call him the cot. Talked a lot about prowling the streets of Times Square. Picking up prostitutes. He had endless energy when it came to that. And basically, because they were, quote, close to Times Square, no, they weren't. No, they weren't. Like, this guy that he works with, the cot, Cottingham, would brag about, like, just going out into Times Square and, like, meeting sex workers and having sex with them, like, while he's on the clock. Right. And this, and Dom is like, I can't tell you what I had oh for breakfast God. yesterday, but I remember every last thing about this fucking creep. Listen, Dom is weird, but he's kind of a hero here. Like, ultimately, in the end, the shit that he says, like, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, Richie, the cot, whatever, yeah. he worked the, like, the skeleton crew. He yeah. worked nights from 4 p.m. to 11 p.m., which is really not the night shift. The night shift is, like, 6 to 6, right? Yeah, and he would, like, scoot out, like, in the middle and leave the other guys to do the work while he went and had sex with sex workers, to which I said, can you do your fucking job? I used to work at a hotel job where people would do this. We're, like... I was a concierge and no one ever paid attention to us. Like, no managers paid attention. And my concierge, like, they would go to, like, events. They'd go to parties. They'd what? go to Broadway shows in the middle of a fucking shit. And just leave me there. Because I was, like, too much of a goodie two shoes to go do that shit. Well, someone had to stay. I knew it was always me. Uh... <laughs> So this guy, the cot, he would brag about how like he would go down to Times Square with $3,000 in cash and wave it around. Where and of is course, this money coming from? I this know. guy always has thousands and thousands of dollars in cash on him. And like, of course he's going to get attention with $3,000, uh-huh. right? And he says to Dom, as long as I pay her, she'll do anything I tell I her to do. Fucking I know. barf. I know. <laughs> so he would go to this place, Plato's Retreat. Oh it was my a God. sex club. Plato's Retreat was a place that uh, couples could go and swap partners with other couples or even engage in uh, group sex in what they called the orgy room. There were cubicles which were private, you know, lock the door and you don't know what people are doing there. Now, again, I want to say, they want us to be scandalized by this. This is tame compared to some of the things I've seen in my life. I love that, number one. I also screenshot the rules. <laughs> number one, the rules that were on, this is when you, before you walk into Plato's uh-huh, Retreat, these uh-huh. are the rules. Okay. Number one, no drinking or eating on the mats. The mats. <laughs> yes, this is where like straight couples go for like swinging sex. Yeah, and there, there's also an orgy room for group totally. sex. Number two, couples only, no threesomes at any time. I assume the orgy room is a little bit different. Number three. We, the orgy room is like the concierge desk. Nobody's really monitoring. It's mm, That's the scariest room. Totally. Number three, we ask you not to stand in front of the entrance. Don't want any bottlenecking here. Number four, no one admitted fully dressed. <laughs> Number oh five, God. maybe most important, and I like this yeah, one, yeah. when when the female leaves the mats, her mate will be asked to leave also. Oh, I like that. So you can't just be like, uh, I'm with her. <laughs> totally. and then just. Yeah. It's like how like grownups can't go to playgrounds without a child. 
right? That is great. It's a great rule. It's a, gr- and it's it's very, a great yeah. petting zoos, uh-huh. you know, arcades. Totally. Yeah. I got to tell you, you guys, the most tame version of this that exists in the gay world is like underwear parties. Clubs used to have underwear parties where you would only be admitted if you were only wearing underwear. Right. And of course, I never had the body confidence to go to things like that. But like, that was. Hopefully, they weren't being thrown in like January. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yes. And like, (laughs) I think there was like a changing option maybe for that. Yeah. But like, that's a Tuesday in the gay world. You know what I mean? Yeah, like before the real party starts. Oh, I mean, yes. That's like yes. at nine o'clock. There, I've never been, but there still are sex clubs in New York City that like are open to this day. I know that. Yes, there yeah. are. Yes, <laughs> we both have gay friends who party more than we do. Who party. <laughs> yes, that is. Also, I have some straight friends who party more than I do. Oh shit! Are there straight sex clubs? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so the thing about Plato's retreat is that it attracted a lot of sex workers, including Dita. I wrote, it's just a place for super horny straight people. Can we move on? And sex workers to pick up clients. Yes. It's a great, I mean, yes. truly, for as a from a networking perspective, totally. like, of course. Yeah. So it's May 15th, 1980, five months after the murders. The fire department's called to the Seville Hotel on 29th and Madison. The police were called, detectives responded, and Manhattan South Homicide responded. There was a room set on fire. And when they went inside, there's another mutilated woman. It's the same exact thing. So it's another hotel that's been burned out and there's like a body. Right. A woman was raped and tortured and another neat crime scene. He removed her breasts. I hate this guy. I mean, this is insane. Like, this is truly insane. But what he does is he leaves her hands behind. So she was able to be ID'd. And her name is Jean Ann Rayner. She's a sex worker. She was arrested a few weeks earlier. Yep. I have a theory on this. I think he was sick of not getting caught. I think that he wanted oh, yeah. credit for his work. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I mean, that's part of the escalation, totally. I think, right? Yep. So then the, the episode ends, the first episode ends with learning that Jean Ann was in the middle of a fucking custody suit and she her sex work was paying the legal fees to try to get custody of her son. Yeah, and Dominic was saying that like the Seville was not very far from where they worked, he and, and the other guy. Yes. They called it slaughter at the Seville. I said, keep it classy, Dom. I know. But they're like basically in the break room at work reading about this in the paper. One of our peripheral operators came in, Bob, with the newspaper in his hand, and it was on the front page. And Bob threw it down on the console and said, what sick son of a bitch could do something like this? Tottingham's rocking back and forth in his chair. And he looked up at Bob and he said, Bob, could have been you, could have been me. Could have been you, could have been me. Who knows? Like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, it's him. Right. Like, we're not, spoiler. So that's how episode one ends. Yeah. Episode two is called The Perfect Hunting Ground. Oh, my God. Times Square was sex, sex, sex everywhere. There were men everywhere seeking what they were seeking. It wasn't just one or two girls standing on a street corner. There were girls everywhere. And I was one of them for 13 years. So now this is the day after the murder of Gene Rayner. And we meet Michael Lawrence. He's here with us today. (laughs) He's a live sex performer and porn actor. (laughs) We'll get more into his story later. But like that is a real that's a real lower third. He would like do like live sex performances in front of an audience with his wife. And he explains it in detail. And he, but he's saying, he was like, wait, there are people out there that are predators and there's no stopping them. And that's when Malcolm, the cop goes. Once you start cutting pieces off of people, once you start beheading people, cutting hands off of people, you're getting on the news. Once you stop beheading people and cutting hands off people, yeah, you're getting on the news. (laughs) Which, as we think, that's exactly what he wanted. Because now we got to talk about you. I've literally never heard this term before. I never want to hear it again. I know. But, but as horrified as I was, I was like, oh, my God, Uh they're right. Because they're talking about, like, this time, 1970 to 2000, some fucking cop calls that the golden age of serial killers. Which is, like, first of all... The golden age. Yeah, they say the 70s, but they show a clip of Manson, and those murders are in the 60s. Yes. And also, like... 
Wow, that's like 40 years. But listen, but it's 40 years, but they're saying 82% of all 20th century American serial killers emerge in that period. Yeah. That's, think about it, like, we haven't had a serial killer in a while. And if you think, it's like Manson, Gacy, Bundy, Dahmer, the Golden State Killer. It's all like- Richard Ramirez. The 70s, man. Yes, yeah. Again, it was like before technology was advanced. Jeffrey Dahmer was the 90s, you know what I mean? Like was the 90s, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really fucking, I mean, like, Israel Keys, if you think about that. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, he was later. He's not in that period, but still, like, that's the whole thing. Like, there was no DNA. Like, the jurisdictions didn't talk to each other. Uh There was no fucking, like, serial killer means more than one person. So, like, if you kill a person in one state and then go to another state and kill somebody else, like, back during that time, that would not have been connected. No, no, not at all. And that's how this guy got away with it for so long. Exactly. So the cops are like, shit, he's going to kill again. He's a ticking time bomb. We need to get him off the street. So they start a task force. Yeah. I said, my Vernon's got to find his psychopathic sexual sadist. His psychopathic sexual sadist. Uh, he Gotta sure find does. Him. He does. And so we, we learn about this guy and it's like he loves shocking people. That was yeah. part of it. They call him a narcissist and he's like smarter than everyone and loves taunting people. And Vernon goes, this guy thinks, oh, I'm smarter than the cops. They're not going to catch me. Oh yeah, keep waiting, asshole. We're going to get you. <laughs> Vernon! I love Vernon! Vernon. So Dr. Melinda's back and she's just saying like the sex workers were terrified because like this is where we learned that they would look out for each other. They couldn't go to the cops. Obviously like the Johns were terrifying to them. They would pay attention. Like, if one of them got into a car, they would make sure she came back. That community of us, of us girls, we would all talk. They knew that there were dangerous Johns showing up that they had to protect themselves against. They all knew each other, and they had warning signs. If somebody got in a car and drove off, they often had somebody who was looking out for them and making sure that they came back. And so we meet a sex worker named Barbara Amaya. Yeah. And she's like, look, I was there in the 70s. I was a sex worker in the 70s. She says later, and I think this is super important. I know exactly what you're going to say. She was on the street being trafficked for 13 years. Yeah. And she said the average lifespan of someone in that line of work, in, yeah. that, in her situation, I should yeah. say, is seven years. And she says, I've never met anyone who was on the street when I was because they, they didn't not make alive. it. Right. And like she, so she has like a lot to say and yeah. she, she like of course didn't want to talk to the cops obviously yeah. but she's like, oh fine, like okay, okay, okay. So she finally agrees to talk to them. They show the sketch that woman was like, uh, that creep signed in at the hotel. Yeah, the only thing that we have to go on at this point is like that composite sketch from that one lady who paid attention because of course she did. Right. And Barbara says like, I didn't want my trafficker Moses to know that I was talking to the cops because I don't know what he'd yeah. do to me but She's like, that's the guy. I know that guy. Like, she has this crazy story about, like, him taking her and, like, basically raping her at gunpoint. She thought he was going to kill her. And for some reason, he didn't. I thought, yeah, I remember that face. But when the police asked me if I knew this man, I told them, no, I lied. I lied to them. Because I was so scared of my trafficker, Moses, and what he would do to me if I talked to the police. But she's talking about her trafficker, Moses, and, like, what a bastard he was. Uh, and I said, can we get eyes on Moses? I know. Where, where the, the fu- fuck is hopefully, Moses? Hopefully he's dead. Hopefully he's dead. Hopefully he's <laughs> rotting and burning in hell. And, like, we learned from Dr. Melinda and from Barbara, like, why the sex workers wouldn't trust the cops. Because yeah. what they were doing was illegal, right? So, yeah. like, there was, like, a prostitution charge, which is what they called it That's back like then. That's, like, the legal definition of the charge. Right. That's like, why we say that word. It will always be used against you. Yes. Like, to get a credit card, to get a, quote, real job, yep. to get custody of your kids. Custody of your fucking kids, which is like why some of these people were doing this work in the first place. Right, and it's like survival sex work for so many of them, right? So they're surviving minute to minute and so Dr. Melinda makes this excellent point where she says, because sex work is criminalized, you create a very dangerous situation for women working on the street. They're alone out there. Right. You know? Yeah, and she says later that like what what a lot of sex workers want is to decriminalize sex work so that they can regulate it on their own terms. Right. And Dr. Melinda's like, we've been doing this for millennia. She says millennia like this is it truly is the world's oldest profession but then I gotta say like we break in with like old footage of Times Square from 1900 and yeah. I was screaming I 
love that old footage so fucking much. And the thing about it, like, on one of the episodes of Strange and Unexplained, Daisy talks about Times Square at the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. And she said there were more brothels in Times Square between, like, these, like, 13 blocks than there were bars anywhere in the city. Wow. And it was completely, like, everyone knew it was there. It was illegal, but everyone looked the other way. And that's one of the reasons why Times Square became what it became. That's what they're saying in this section is that Times Square was always a haven for sex work. And it always was. Right. So it always is. Right. Exactly. 40 juice. 40 juice. Dr. Melinda is here educating the fuck out of all yeah. of us, honestly. And she starts talking about the black exploitation films that yeah. came out. When pimping becomes a cultural icon. Hey, where are you going? You had all these black exploitation films coming out, making heroes out of figures like Iceberg Slim, who controlled women and who made money. When I asked you a question, they sort of made heroes out of pimps. They weren't yeah, traffickers. Right. They were like cultural figures. They controlled women. They made money. They were cool. They were tough. The way they dressed, uh-huh. you know, like this whole kind of like this vibe that's really not healthy. Right. Because now now you're saying we call them traffickers, not pimps. Right. And so Barbara's like, let me tell you about this piece of shit, Moses. Like he would yeah. tattoo the women that he was exploiting. He got Barbara into the trade when she was 12. Right. She was 12 years old when he took her to New York for the first time. 12. 12. So think about Barbara. She's abused by the trafficker. Yes. She's abused by the Johns, the cops. You know how lonely that is when you're just trying to survive minute to minute? I said, can we fucking find Moses? Joe Berlinger, you made the wrong documentary, girl. Or at least let me know he's dead. Right. <laughs> Little on screen text. Totally. It takes two seconds. He was hit by a train and it was painful. And he just laid there right. for hours I and know. for days I in know. pain. Because at one point I'm like, did this guy get the electric chair? Because I'm reversing my my take on the death penalty just for this guy. For this guy. What yeah. a piece of shit, right? I know. Uh, so anyway, they're tr- the cops are going through like mountains and mountains of records. They're trying to make connections by finding someone with a record. And also just uh, again, to be clear, I'm sorry, I'm ranting about it, but like Everything about sex work at this time made it so easy for men to get away with anything. Yes. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. So it is kind of I'm like, wow, the cops are actually do, doing their job. Amazing. And I'm a little bit curious as to why. Like, why do the cops get so fixated on solving these murders? It seems like oh, what we're told over and over again in this documentary is that these kinds of things were completely ignored. Right. Yeah, yeah, why yeah. Why do they care about solving this it, one? It is, it is kind of like a... Huh. I know. Huh. But it is interesting that they are, the cops are saying we've got no leads, we've got no fingerprints. They are starting to look for sex workers who have been abused by their Johns to see if maybe we can take that composite sketch to them and maybe they can help us figure out who this guy is. Like maybe before he started killing and dismembering them, he was beating them and letting them live and maybe we can catch him that way. Right. So they're trying to look at arrest records for Johns in the area, right? Like men who had attacked sex workers and they find somebody. One of the detectives pulled the records from two cases that might hint at someone uh, who committed this crime. Both crimes took place years before, in 1973 and in 1974. In both cases, the complainants are working girls. One of the charges was actually filed by the girl's pimp. One of the chargers was actually filed by the trafficker. Like, that's how bad the abuse was, that the trafficker was like, shit. Holy shit. Because he wouldn't let the woman go. Now, of course, it was selfish that he wanted the woman back because it's, like, property, right? But, like, that, he wouldn't let her out of the car. Like, this guy's fucking scary. But he would take their costume jewelry, which is notoriously inexpensive jewelry, costume jewelry. It's like rhinestones. It's not real gems. And the point is, he was taking it as a trophy. Right. You know? Who was it? Dom's co-worker, Richie Cunningham or whatever. (laughs) Him, the cop. He is, and they say it like in no uncertain terms, the definition of, of a mediocre average. at best white guy. They're like average job, average car, average house. He lived in New Jersey. You know, he's a commuter guy, just yeah. like a, the, the as basic as they come. You would think that this would be the thing that would make them connect the dots between New Jersey and New York. We're not quite there yet. We also learned he was, quote, a typical family man with a typical housewife raising a daughter and two sons. And we never hear a word about them again. I know. I know. And I like, I hope they got out. I hope they're okay. Like, oh my God. Well, we do learn that she files for divorce. (laughs) Good for her. So the cops, it turns out that the cops questioned him at the time of the charges, but of course he denies it up and down. He's like, I wasn't there. I was either at home or at work. Like they're lying. And, but like it goes to court and the sex workers don't show up to the hearing. Who can blame them? So someone's like, no victim, no crime. We move on. Yep. 
And this is where I have, like, they just have to let him go. Right. So that was in 1973 and 1974. Everything yeah. is dismissed because everything is the worst. But now it's 1980 and there's a task force, right? Yes. So then they're kind of like, what's this guy's deal? And the answer is kind of nothing. He had a great family. Like, I love that they make the point to say, like, he even had a good relationship with his mother. And I was like, are we still doing that thing where we're blaming serial killers on the mother? Yeah, they were like, no abuse. And I'm like, that doesn't lead to... They're From like, the mo- like, oh my God, we're still doing this? And Dr. Melinda's like, look, to be fair, at the time, we didn't know how dangerous mediocre white dudes could be. Oh my God. They make the point a hundred times. If you had a decent car, if you had a Dodge, right. no one ever would have thought you could ever hurt a fly. And this whole thing of like, he didn't fit the profile of yeah. someone who could be violent. It's like, meanwhile, I thought we were living in the golden age of serial I killers know. where they all look the fucking same. <laughs> right, right. Like, Ted Bundy looks like Dahmer who looks like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. ridiculous. And like, I gotta say it again, Dr. Melinda's like, these sex workers especially, if a guy pulled up in a decent car they would think there's no way this guy could ever hurt me. Right. If that's the benchmark. I know. Imagine the trash these women were encountering every day. I mean, I, I can't. Oh, my God. I can't. I know. One block from where I lived for two years of my life, by the right. way. <laughs> so they're, they're like, oh, so weird about Richie because, like... He doesn't really fit the profile. Plus, he was out of state. It's like Jersey. It's like another planet. I'm like, it's not Mars. But that's the whole, like, that's what I don't understand. It's like New York. People live in New Jersey to commute to New York. You know what I mean? Yes, because it's, yes. It's like that, like, the cops aren't factoring that in. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they do say there are, like, a lot of locals in Times Square. But even, like, then... Now and tomorrow, it's a tourist right. trap. Right. Whether it's for the booby theaters, of, as you so brilliantly the call them, or like to go see the Lion King. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a tourist trap. Right. Always. So now we're back. If I never hear the word jurisdiction, it'll be too soon. Because the task force, they called him the torso killer, which is like. I knew you weren't going to like that. Can we just call him like a piece of shit murderer? I know. I know. You don't even have to say shit in the newspaper if if everyone's too precious. So the task force was looking for what they're calling the torso killer in New York City. They had no idea about all the shit that was happening in New Jersey. Right. So then, like, this is, I think, maybe a good place to stop where it's like, we'll figure out what's going on in New Jersey next week. Because you guys, as many murders as is happening in, in time Square, just as many are happening in New Jersey. It's in a New Jersey, mess over in Hasbrook Heights, and nobody, New Jersey and New York, though they are five miles apart, are not talking to each other. And again, not Mars. Like right. it's like Jersey <laughs> isn't a different planet, and this is a New Yorker saying that. Get it together. <laughs> Episode 2 is available right now, ad-free, on the Patreon. If you're on the Patreon, go get it right the second. If you want to join the Patreon, you can listen to it right the second, along with 300 and more full ad-free bonus episodes. Yeah, so the ad-free versions of these episodes, and then we do those long series, like yeah. Relentless, which was Relentless, and The Vow, <laughs> and Tiger King, Don't F with Cats, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, all of that stuff. The Jake Serial, Making a Murderer, the Lacey Peterson doc, where they think maybe Scott was innocent, Jody Arias. Lorena. Lorena, the Gacy doc, did we say that one? Uh, no, but... I'll be gone in the dark. All of the, like, there's so many there. Go check it out. Don't forget, we're going to Broadway April 11th. Yes. If you have tickets, you better be there. And if you can't be there, you better get in the Facebook group and get them to somebody who can be there. Let me tell you, the Helen Hayes in the heart of Times Square. In the heart of Times Square. Surely the heart, it's on 45th. It's true. The heart of Times Square. (laughs) Join our Facebook group, True Crime Obsessed Podcast Discussion Group, and follow us on the Instagram, True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Yeah. We have fun. Yeah. It's weird, but. Stay tuned for the outtakes, and we love you. We love you. Thanks so much. Stay safe out there, would you? Yeah, please do. Thanks. Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye. As a a personal favor to me, just be safe. (laughs) Call somebody when you get home. Let's text somebody and let them know you get home. In fact, text me. I'll put my my number in the Facebook group. Oh, God. Okay, bye. (laughs) He says psychopath. He says psychopathical. What is wrong with my mouth today? I don't know, but you got a job to do. (laughs) Of all the things to fail today. Back in the studio, baby. Uh, I mean, for now, I I just, I can't. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop with this nonsense. 40 deuce. Right? Girl, that's all I'm going to say from now on. Yeah, 8th and 40 deuce. Where are you going? I'll meet you that place on 40 deuce. Yeah, where are we going to dinner after this? Somewhere on 40 deuce. deuce.